Welcome to Adaptify. I'm Mike, I'm a paraplegic from New Zealand, and it's my mission to find the Adaptifiers of the world. People who have overcome challenges and found new, creative, interesting ways to be free despite needing to use a wheelchair for their mobility. Hi, it's Mike. Welcome. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, the lap stacker is now available as a gift. Head on over to adaptify.com if you know someone who's a wheelchair user and you'd love to give them the freedom giving gift of a lap stacker this Christmas. Head on over to adaptify.com. Today's adaptifier is Sean Gash. Sean is an animal. He's a paraplegic wheelchair user and also an amputee. He's summited Kilimanjaro. He's the first paraplegic to ascend the Rongai route with his team. He's an RGK ambassador. He's a diver. He's gone skydiving. He's completed over 100 kilometers of obstacle course racing, including entering the UK championships twice with his team, No Fair and Wheels. Sean is an amazing guy. I've um, been wanting to speak to Sean for some time now, and uh, today's the day. Sean, thanks so much for joining me. I can't wait to hear about your life, uh, your 30 years as a wheelchair user, and uh, what tips and tricks you can share with our listeners today. Welcome. Look, uh, Mike, thank you so much for inviting me. Um, interesting, the fact that you're on a Tuesday morning and I'm on a Monday night. So um, yeah, technology. It's, uh, it's actually quite lucky we've got the technology given the state of the pandemic in the world. If we didn't have it, it might be a little, uh, I mean, I, I don't know, it, it'd probably be a whole lot harder for a whole lot of people. Um, I think I think, I think think if you think about how it, what's happened this year, it's sort of changed people's ideas of, I mean, for me, for work-wise, I'm doing a lot more meetings over Zoom and other, you know, there's other other devices out there. But I'm doing so much more on the on the virtual side before we before I'm going out. So, um, mm. yes, yeah, I mean, it's got positives. It's got its positive side to it. Yeah, totally. Hey, Sean. So, where are you based at the moment? Where are you, where are you calling in from? So, I'm based in Lancaster, Lancaster, Lancashire, in the UK. Right so on. It's like and- I said, it's a, it's a Monday night, Monday evening, nine o'clock. Nice. Well, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Hey, so um, you've been uh, you've been a wheelchair user for going on thirty years now. What was your life like um, before that? Do you know what? It's it's really good. It's good to talk about because I think, especially nowadays, I've been in a chair thirty years, and in thirty years, I've seen changes with individuals, societies' perception of individuals in wheelchairs, but also um, how my life's changed and how my mental health has changed with being in a chair as well. So if I take you back, you know, 30 years ago, I was 20. Six months before my 21st, um, I was involved in a, in a car crash. I was a backseat passenger of a car, you know, and my life completely changed. Car flipped over. Um, I broke my back, my ribs, my shoulder, punched both my lungs. And um, my life completely changed. So up till that point, you know, I was 20. I was um, working in a hospital as a psychiatric nurse from a training. I was, I had a career idea. I, I, you know, I had a girlfriend. I had all these things that that sort of planned out where I wanted to go. Um, 
And then one split second, um, my life was, my journey completely changed and, uh, and developed into um, a little journey what I've got, what I've had now for the past 30 years, which has been an absolutely amazing, amazing journey that I've had. You know, I wouldn't change it, but I wouldn't wish it on the on my worst enemy, but I wouldn't change um, what's happened, where I've been, my experiences um, at all. And I think you, always, you have to be a certain type of person to deal with the situation. At that time, um, I went through a lot of um, doubt. Uh, I went through a lot of mental health side of things with trying to get to, to, to grips with actually what happened. So, uh, so yeah, it's a massive journey, massive journey. So when you were saying, yeah, totally a huge journey, uh, man, and at 20, you know, you said you had, you know, you had plans, you had a girlfriend, you had a, you know, career that you were launching into. Um, but, you know, at 20, I think a lot of people are still kind of figuring things out and figuring themselves out and figuring out what it means to be out of school and, and out into the wide world. What was your preconceived ideas before your accident of what a wheelchair user and, and life as a wheelchair user might be? Did you have any, did you know any no, wheelchair you know users? What? Did you, was it even on your radar? No, it wasn't, it wasn't even, it wasn't even on my radar. It wasn't even, but the, the thought hadn't even entered my, my, my head. My, you know, I didn't even think about somebody in a wheelchair you know, I, I, I suppose I go back to this this um, preconceived idea that a lot of people um, have with um, putting somebody in a wheelchair. You just think of that uh, that elderly person, um, mm. the person that that can't do anything because they are um, disabled. You know, at that time it was handicapped. You know, I think there's different terminologies that mm. were were banded around. Um, so no, I did I. It didn't even enter my my head, or or what it would like, what it would be like, or or if I would ever end up in in, in a wheelchair myself. So, um, so you you were lying. That, that... Sorry, carry on. I interrupted. No, go 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 ahead. Go ahead. So so you're lying there, and you you really, you know, you the only thought you had around a wheelchair user was someone that was elderly, and it was you know the the terminology was handicapped. So you're lying there in hospital and you've got some pretty serious injuries aside from breaking your back. So I imagine it took you a long time to recover from that. But what what was the first moment that you realised the severity of of the accident you'd been in and your situation and what was going through your mind? Can you remember that? Yeah, it was, it was interesting. So I don't actually remember um, the accident itself. I know what happened because I think your your brain has a, has a way of dealing with a situation by... Uh, taking and cutting out that particular moment uh, of that impact. So I remember I'd finished my shift in the hospital. I used to share a house with some friends. Um, I'd got home that night. They said, let's go for a drink. So we went to a local bar that was, you know, we had to drive to. So where I live in Lancaster, you have to go out into into the countryside um, to, to to, to get to this pub. So there's quite a notorious road. Um, I was 20 in the bar. There was a couple of girls in there. I was single. They said, you want to lift home? All I remember is actually physically getting into the, the back of the car, back seat, the car door shut, and that was it. 
So three weeks later, I was in Southport Spine Lindries um, with, with my accident. Um, but I can't remember from, I can't remember that physically, can't remember leaving that pub to actually the time I spent in high dependency. So I mm. was in intensive care. I was in there for about a month. And then I came out there and I had to go into like the high dependency ward before you get into the main ward. And um, that, my, my memory start, it starts to flood back from the time I was in there. And I remember I was in a four-bedded ward, um, looking up at the ceiling, looking at the, the other beds around me through a mirror. That's the only thing I could do. I was looking up at, and um, I remember a psychologist came in uh, into, the, into the ward, came up to me and said, Sean, you've been in, involved in a, in a traffic accident. You've... Uh, uh, broken your back you're not going to be able to walk again and he actually walked off and left me that that was my holy um, yeah that was that was that and that time i was in bed and i still and i couldn't reach my cup and i couldn't you know i couldn't move my legs and it was, suddenly it dawned on me the fact that um i'm paralyzed i'm in a wheelchair i'm never going to be able to walk and you know and all these emotions were running through my head um, about, you know, can I have a girlfriend who's going to love me? Can I have children? Can I have sex? And, you know, mm. all these, it was just a bombardment of individual thoughts and phrases and anything that was going through. Um, so, yeah, I think that was, that was, I think, the darkest time um, that I recall of feeling um, that my life has completely changed. And I couldn't mm. at that time as well. I couldn't see where I was going to go. Um, I couldn't look into the future to see where I was going to be. You know, nobody came in to say, Sean, do you know what I mean? So you're, you're, you're in a wheelchair, but it's going to be all right. Mm. I didn't have that sort of that mentoring, that support mechanism around me. Um, and it wasn't, and, and that was 30 years ago in the hospital, you know, that wasn't even in, in place, that mentoring mm. side. Mm. Um, so I had, I had to deal with all these emotions. Um, and yeah, that was that was a difficult side. That was a, that was a, that was the lowest point when I when I you know I just couldn't see the 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 the, the will for living. I couldn't see going on. I couldn't see where I was going to go. So uh, yeah, man, that that must have been incredibly incredibly hard. I can relate to exactly those questions. The just the complete unknowns of the situation you know the marriage the relationship the walking the you know will I ever be able to enjoy the outdoors play sport you know just completely almost overwhelming and and you're you can't really even move because you're so broken and and you know it's it's like you've you've kind it's almost like it's almost like you're sort of locked in to your to your body that's what it felt like to me and yeah, then, and, I, and I felt like I was in like a. I felt like I was in a bubble. I mm. felt like I couldn't. Um, I couldn't really take in what the, my surroundings were. You know, in the hospital. Bearing in mind, I was the only para. I was the only paraplegic there. So everybody at that time that that were you know there was about eight or nine of us. But everybody at that time, they're all tetraplegics, and I was the only para. And and that 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 that, that terminology, paraplegic, tetraplegic, that. 
didn't even come into the equation either because I couldn't relate. I didn't know what a paraplegic was. I didn't know what a tetraplegic was or a quadriplegic. Mm. You know, I had no idea of what it was. So um, I felt like I felt like I was I was a, a reborn baby. You know, because when when as a baby we we have to we mm. have to learn to to walk, to talk, to to <laughs> potty train, and all this. So in you know at the age of twenty. I felt like I was having to go back to my body was having to retrain my bowels, my bladder, my emotions, you know, how to push a chair, how to get dressed. So I felt like I was going through, I felt like I was a 20 year old baby, which, which is, yeah, it's very, very bizarre, bizarre. It's a really good way of putting it. It's, it's very much like that. Just so much learning. So much learning from the from the very yeah I, beginning, I think, isn't it? I think individuals don't realise that um, you, obviously your body is an is an amazing organ. It's an is an amazing way your, your your brain can deal with things. It can cut messages off when it feels like I said I couldn't remember. I can't remember the accident. So I think my brain dealt with that way. So cut that message off. So we don't know anything about that. So it's not going to cause me any trauma. But your body is a, is, an, a, is an, an amazing organism to to be able to adjust and readjust itself. Because then you have to retrain your bowels, and you have to retrain your bladder, and you have to retrain all these other things. To and your body then starts sending you signals. You know, I'm I've been in a chair thirty years, so I know when I feel if I, I, it's weird. I don't know when I may feel un, uncomfortable, but my body will send a signal to tell me. I might be on a crease or I might have transferred wrong or there might be something, I might have a shoe that's too tight, you know? So my, so I now know and I, I now can read my body, but I've, that's 30 years down the line. Mm. I've had to find that out myself. I mean, I didn't have anybody. I, I would love to have been that person to have come into that unit at that time and said, do you know what, Sean? Um, you're going to be all right. Mm. You're going to go through this journey. This is how you're going to feel. You're going to have up days. You're going to have down days. You might even have an accident here and, you know, you're going to feel embarrassed there. You're going to feel a bit inadequate here as a father, as a, as a son, as a brother, you know, as a friend, as a husband. But it's, mm. it's all right. It's okay. It's okay to feel that way because we've all gone through that journey. So I think if I had somebody there that was able to say, you know, reassure me, mm. then um, I think, you know, you deal with things, you could, you could have dealt with things in a, in a different way, uh, in a more positive way, you know. So, And I guess we're lucky now with organisations like Backup Trust and New Zealand Spinal Trust and High Fives Foundation, Triumph Foundation and, and numerous others around the world where they oh there's they, amazing organizations out there now that that have developed and and have uh, a supporting not just the physical side but the 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 emotional and the mental health side of um trauma because that's mm -hmm. what it is it's a it's a trauma it's a, it's it's you know regardless so um and there's great there's more support out there and and i think as well you know, with the mental health side that, that comes with that, with that, you know, everybody can see the physical side, can see the physical disability, mm. but it's that emotional side that people don't see. They just see you in that chair. Um, they don't see 
that, you know, at the age of 21, when you're in, in, in a bar and you feel inadequate because all these guys are walking in and, and, and pulling all these girls and you want to have a girlfriend, but you can't because you feel a little bit inadequate, you know, they don't see that side of things, you know. Yeah, that's right. And that's the foundation to moving forward with your life, isn't it? And which is, you know, precisely why I have this podcast. It's to meet people like you and to uh, share this knowledge that you have. And so in a way, you, you are that person that's uh, that people can listen to and understand and, and hear of your experience. And you've had a, an amazing, amazing life. And we'll dive into, dive into that uh, as, as we go. I'm curious to know when the first moment was that you found some sense of hope in your situation. Um, and maybe even just before that, you know, um, what was some of the what was some of the mechanisms you used to to cope with the bombardment of information and the uncertainty and the doubt and and the um, you know the mental health? Um, uh, you know, I mean, it, many people dive into a, a form of depression um, and and that's totally understandable when when you're faced with an overwhelming situation like we have what were some of the mechanisms you used to 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 manage that to deal with that and to come out through the other side and then and then there's that sort of hope piece when did you find the first sense of joy in your situation do you know do you know that's so nice to be asked them because um, I, had a, I, had a, I had a fabulous time. I had a great time when I was in the spine unit because at that time there was eight or nine of us, all of similar ages, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, that um, had accidents that had a change of life. And, um, and we dealt with it with humor. Hmm. We was able to, to laugh at ourselves and laugh at each other. Um, through that journey of understanding what was actually happening happening to us, you know, on bowel day, on um, the, you know, getting up in the morning to get washed and dressed, and and how we coped with that in different ways. But I think because I was around individuals, one who that that um, had uh, more serious. Um, breaks an accident uh, and an accident than myself because I was the only paraplegic uh, so that in itself made me realize how fortunate I was mm. um, because some of the other the, the, the other guys who were in the, in the unit with me needed to be washed and dressed and, and, and fed and everything else so I think from a from an early start in my journey of in my wheelchair journey and I always call it a wheelchair journey because it is um, I've been in and around individuals who have inspired me because uh, they've made me realize that, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I've got full upper body strength. Um, I've got the use of my hands. Uh, I could still wash and dress and I could still do everything I used to do, only in a different way. Um, when I had to go into re, re um, I chop and change a little bit, so bear with me. But there was a, there was a guy called Terry and he was a C2 Tetra. So the only thing he could move with his head, but he was the nicest, nicest guy you could meet. He never moaned. He never complained. He had never didn't have a bad word to say about anyone. He controlled his chair through a mouthpiece. He was using a computer through a mouthpiece. And this guy 
inspired me and made me realize that, do you know what? It's okay. I'm all right. I'm going to be all right. Um, he had a smile on his face. You know, and, and this is a guy that couldn't scratch his nose. <laughs> and it's little things like that that, 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 that helped me at an early stage deal with um, my condition, my disability, my, my, my injuries uh, in a positive way because I was always surrounded by individuals that needed a little bit more support than what I did. And that made me then thankful and grateful for, 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 for what actually happened to me. You know, so Terry, bless me, he's, he passed away now, but, and I always remember Terry, and I always talk about Terry with the utmost respect because he was and is the nicest guy you could meet. And and in some way, I guess he, he managed to, to teach you something at the time, right? And Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, we talked, you know, we talked about, uh, when I was talking before about um, being able to humour and he always had a smile on his face and he always managed to crack dry jokes, you know, and <laughs> his, his dry sense of humor got it. That's how he dealt with it. And that's, and that's, and that's what, that's one thing I always remember. And I always remember he, he said to me, Sean, he said, you know, accept you, laugh at you and everything will be fine. Mm, that's so yeah. great. I love that. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting because if, if there's, you know, if you're in that situation and you're, there's no one that, that brings that humor, then, you know, perhaps, perhaps you're the person that needs to bring that to the room because it only takes one and it's infectious in a way, isn't it? You know, like it's that butterfly effect. You, you start smiling, you start having a laugh and all of a sudden the people around you can't help but feel absolutely happy as well so so maybe that th for those listening you could take that upon yourself if there isn't some humor in the room in a, in a situation that's a bit dire you know i guess respectfully of course but you, you know you can bring that to uh to lift the lift the mood of uh of those and it around does you because it, it energizes you doesn't it mm. and if you've and it, just been able to, to to laugh at something actually just gives you that energy to to and it's that feel good factor in in epitomize all the endorphins and it just it's just marries up and and brings everything together so um yeah and if that's one thing that i do now is is i just I'm all, you know there's days when i'm you know days when i'm tired and days because you're working and everything else but um i've always got a smile on my face i'm always going to have a laugh you know i'm always going to have a joke um and even my kids will you know we have the banter and, and i've got a loving family so, yeah, it's it's that humor side of things. It definitely definitely makes the world grow stronger. I think. Yes, yeah, fantastic. I can't help but think, though, Sean, that you know people, uh, you know people that have you know that go into their accident with a positive mindset and and some sort of optimism about the world are, are generally going to be be okay. They're generally going to be able to continue that through. But for those that, totally agree, totally those, agree. Yeah, but for those that don't don't have that, um, you know, what are some? You know, and you mentioned you know being grateful for what you had, and and you know, some people will be thinking, well, it's easy. You know, it's easy for you to say. You know, that's just that's just you. But 
Now, what about people that that are, are really struggling to find the uh, find the bright parts of the, their day? What advice would you have? You know, for me, I, I always I always start off every week with I set myself a little goal, um, and it's and it's not. And I'm, when I'm, I'm talking, I'm, I'm not talking. You know, I'm gonna do 10k a day, and I'm I'm mm. just I give myself a little goal every day. This is what I want to achieve. Mm. So, you know, that keeps me. And also, it, it's because it's not about see motivation. I feel it comes from energy. If you've got a you've got a good energy, then you feel motivated. Um, and I think that having a little goal um, helps to energize you because it keeps you focus. It keeps a focus mm. on where you want to go. So, what do I want to? What do I want to achieve today? Mm. Okay, I want to get through today. I want to be able to um, achieve. Um, I want to help somebody. I want to do something good. I want to say something nice. So, you know, I'm talking little things like that. Mm. I'm not talking about setting a goal where you're gonna, you know, I want to raise money for charity and all this. It's it's the personal goals. It's your individual goals that you can set yourself that's going to help you get through that day. So, so what do you need to do today to help you get through that day? You know. Is that you need to speak to somebody? Do you need to? Do you need to? You know, today I might call my mum or my dad or my sister or my brother or my friend or somebody just to have a chat. Because mm. sometimes just talking mm. actually um, keeps you energized and, and and keeps you motivated and and keeps you um, um, gives you that that goal for the day. So uh, for me, yeah, everybody's different. Everybody handles things in different way, and I'm glad you said that because um, I'm you know everybody says yeah, but Sean, yeah, you can handle this and you got doubt and you. And I'm fortunate that, um, one, um, my character and my personality is, 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 a, is a point where I am, you know, optimistic and positive and, and, and that's, how, that's how I get, and that's how I get energized off of other people who say, Sean, like, you, you know, you humble me and you inspire me and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I've got, I've got, I'm a great believer in talking. I'm a great believer in saying, if I, you know, talking to others and seeing how they feel, because when you ask somebody how they feel and what they're going through and are you okay, then um, just that 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 question then gets them talking. Then before you know it, you're actually talking to them, and then you're energizing them. Then you've actually energized yourself mm. in talking to them. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And I, what I love is the the fact that you just chose you just chose some really small things, and and you know often when people say um, goal setting it doesn't have to be a big thing, and it could be it could be just you know I'm going to dress myself today, or I'm going to I'm going to give uh, my carer a a compliment about what they're wearing today, or you know, so it can be just a small, it can be just a very, very small thing, depending on and where you you're at and you, how you are. And what you get back from that as well is you you get another positive response, and mm-hmm. that is a again that fuels your energy, it fuels your your motivation because then and it feel it fuels who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know when you, you and, and I, goals for me are your personal goals. Goals are. You know, what do I want to do today? It's not about what I want to do in a, in a full week because some people live day by day. You know, mm. some people have to, that's the only way that they can, they can get through the day is by having a, that short term. And that's good and that's great to have because that then, you can then develop that into bigger goals. You know, it's step-by-step approach. You know, that's what we have. You know, we're not, we're not, 
it's looking after your emotional well-being. And if you can set a goal for your emotional, your emotional well-being, then that is is far greater than than any materialistic mm. thing that you can ever ever have. Uh, in, such, my, in my opinion, in my opinion. <laughs> well, I think I think it's such fine words because everything that you attract into your life stems from how your mindset is. You know, everything that you attract in your life starts with the way you think about the world and. So you got to start there. Um, you totally got to start there. And I always say, worry about things that you're in control of. Don't worry about things that that, mm. that you're not in control of. So I'm not in control of how other people see me or mm. what other people think of me. Now, what other people think of me and what other people see me and how they see me, that's fine because that's their own opinion. Mm. And they're entitled to that and, and they can have that. Um, so I can't control other people's emotions. I can control my own emotions, you know? And that's where my head is as well. So the, when I was, um, I used to work in um, a children's center and I used to work with um, some children that were going through some difficult scenarios, difficult situations. And uh, I used to read a book to them and it was the book was called A Big Bag of Worries. And basically it's about we take on so much all these worries on our shoulders and before we know it you know hunched over and and when you start to dissect what's in that bag and you realize well actually i don't really need to worry about that because hmm. that's i'm not in control of that i don't need to worry about that because i'm not in control of that before you know it you've actually just lifted your, your shoulders back you've held your head high and a weight's been lifted off your shoulders because you realize Actually, all these things I think I'm worried about, I'm not in control of. So I don't need to worry about them. Yeah, we can worry about our bills. We can worry about, you know, putting food on the table. But it's it's don't worry about what's what's what we can't control. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's gold. So that was quite deep. That wasn't it. <laughs> I love it. But it's very true. It's so true. It's it's, and I suppose it starts with recognizing that and then you can start to see the worries that you are in essence projecting on yourself um and then you can yeah you can you can let those go and must feel incredibly light to, to like you say to have uh, release that weight off your shoulders um did it work with the children did they did they grasp that concept did it, yeah. did it help it, it did because some of the kids that I, that I was working with um you know they 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 came from disadvantaged backgrounds, so and when when I was working with them and we were when we were, when we when we were working through the book itself, you know, um, they realised that they there's so much pressure in society on the young people on individuals of um, you know. Instagram and, and WhatsApp and Snapchat and all these things about how many likes they get in there. And it's all, you know, mm. I need to have all these friends and all these likes and all the, and, and, and when you break it down and when you talk to them, you say, how many people that actually follow you do you really know? Yeah. <laughs> You're just wanting, you know, I've got a thousand likes or I've got, you know, 2,000 likes or whatever. That It's just, um, 
that acceptance. So then, then all the photos that they put on, they, they were putting them, they were photoshopping and they were doing all these things. And I said, you know, you, you, you're actually hiding yourself. You're, you're putting all these worries because you feel mm. that everybody, that's what people want to see. Mm. People, society want to see you as this perfect individual. And we're not. Everybody's individual. Everybody's unique. Everybody has great qualities. But it's about finding the qualities that you have within yourself. Yeah. And then once you've found that quality in yourself and you accept, that's the big word, when you accept who you are, then mm. you can then move on and then you can deal with whatever comes your way. Because until you start to accept who you are and you're happy with who you are, you know, then, you know, everything is always going to be a worry. Everything is always going to be pressure on yourself. Mm. And it's interesting because hey, if you... it's only Monday night as well. It's only Monday night and I'm still, and I'm still drinking my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. No, it's, it's great. I mean, this is the, this is the reason why I started this podcast was to, you know, to uncover these deep learnings and you've had 30 years of incredible learning to pass on i i think uh i think that you know if if i remember my first time as a wheelchair user out in public and the fears i had um what was what was what was that like for you and and how did you navigate that time do you know um it was interesting um when I was in the unit, when I was in the spinal unit, um, I didn't actually realize um, that I was different in society. And it mm. might sound strange because, you, have, you know, going back to that time, um, the unit was all wheelchair accessible. So I had all of the every the, the showers, the toilets, the, the beds, the hoist, everything was there. I fall out of bed, there was somebody there, there was a nurse there. Mm. It wasn't until you get discharged from the hospital and then you're out in society, then you realize how different you are. Mm. And what I mean by that is, you know, we're not different um, mentally or emotionally, but we're different physically. Because we've now need to, we need need to now negotiate ourselves through society, of society now looking down on us, mm-hmm. and society will always look down on us because they're always going to be taller than us, you know. <laughs> mm. um, and and people then change the whole. What I noticed and what I what I had to deal with and what I had to come to terms with is that people's uh, individuals' um, communication to me towards me would change mm-hmm. in a sense that they may talk a little bit slower. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling today? Are you okay? You know, I'm thinking nobody else is, you know, you, you don't <laughs> speak to me like that. I'm yeah. 21 years of age, you know. Um, do you take sugar? No. It's so. So I had to deal with that. Was another way. That was another, um, another, another way that I had to understand that um, I was different. I am mm. different. I've got to deal with that, and 
uh, society at that time still had us in a you know this preconceived idea of a, of a wheelchair and, and an individual you know and um that's how i was going to be treated and it was it was strange because i was only i was only 20 i was only 21 you know i got discharged from hospital six six days before my 21st birthday and um i remember having my 21st my, my 21st birthday in a, in a wheelchair and the, the nurses took me to a Chinese Chinese restaurant, and I remember um, in that in the Chinese restaurant, and um, the waiters and that were talking, were asking everybody else, you know, asking the nurses what what I wanted to eat, <laughs> and I'm just like my head was my head was still wasn't really taking everything in and wasn't really understanding what was going on, but this is something that we had to deal with. You know, mm. this is societies still had to, to change. Individuals still had to change and understand. Um, yeah, well, so what was work. your counter to that? What 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 did you learn to, uh, you know, to, to navigate that? How did you how <laughs> did you start projecting yourself as a result of of that and, and other things you noticed? At that time, I was. Um, I suppose I was I was reckless in the sense that I would speak my mind mm. to that individual to make them feel embarrassed because of what they because how they made me feel unintentionally. Mm. If that makes sense, yeah. Um, Not realizing be, that they just didn't understand them. They probably yeah just, yeah yeah yeah. And 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 I don't get. Don't you have to remember. Like, I was I was only I was only young. I was only young at that time. You know. So mm. you know. I mean, if if it happened to me now, um, you know, like I said, I'm I'm 50 in a couple of weeks. Then I would um, I'll deal with it in a different way because I'm mm. mature. I'm I've grown up. I understand, and uh, you know, I'm, I've I've got a. I've got a, an old head on my shoulders now, whereas at that time I, I mm. was reckless and I was still still coming to terms with mm. my my journey because I was still at the start of my journey. You know, I was only six months into into this this wheelchair adventure, as mm. it were. Um, so I think I could have dealt with it in a different way, but I think for me it was at that time it was humility, you know, to 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 make put them on the spot so that they could understand how it made me feel mm. you know we all, i always say there's always that there's always that does he takes sugar syndrome you know um my wife when, myself and my wife when we when we first got together and we was go we'd go out and um <laughs> the 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 cafe you know go to a cafe or someone and the waitress always say ask dawn my wife um does he want sugar and we always got and we always got that so i call it the does he take sugar sugar syndrome <laughs> um and uh, and we both laugh about it we both laugh about it and um and dawn now just says well just ask him that's ask great him. He did, it's great he's he's an individual you know so look I, I I think I think since I I personally think that since um, the Paralympics, you know, 2012, when it, it was it was it was huge. It sort of it it changed people's ideas and perceptions of of mm. um, abilities. That's mm. what I think it is. Um, I think 
um, it's changed for the better, but I still think there's fragments in our society where um, we still get judged and we and and because people are scared of the unknown, mm. they are scared to ask questions. I love going. I love working in schools. I, I do a lot of um, um, motivational talks in schools to to children and young people, mm. and I love working with the children and young people because the children and young people ask the questions that adults mm. don't ask. Mm. You know, I remember I was in a primary school and um, a year one, so he must have been about five, six. Uh, Joseph put his hand up to ask a question. He stood up. He said, Sean, how do you go to the toilet? You know? Brilliant. (laughs) Absolutely. In my head, it was, that was brilliant. You know, and I I felt the tension with all the teachers Mm. around the room with how is he going to deal with it? I dealt with it in a humorous way. You know, well, at that time, well, I've got a leg bag and I emptied the bag and that was it. And then we move on. Mm. he accepted that you know mm, mm. and that's why i love working with children and people because they ask the questions they're not they, they don't they are non-judgmental they mm. don't see uh, a wheelchair or a or a zimmer frame or they don't see anything they just see a person mm. it's adults it's us as adults that that see that um difference it's almost as if uh, you know a child is a is a freshly poured um, slab of concrete that's still wet, you know. And yeah. as you as they get older, it dries harder and Love harder that. and harder and harder. And and you know, you uh, you know you become sort of. Set. I love that analogy. You become set in your ways, don't you? As 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 Absolutely. time goes on, I think it's really important to you know, particularly in this uh, in this climate globally and, and also the amount of information that's floating around out there to be curious and be flexible and be um, inquisitive as to and, what the and, truth and that's actually why, is. That's why I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm an open book, you know, I, and people that, that know me, schools and colleges that aren't inviting back to do talks to their students and everything else, you know, they know that they know me, they know that, that 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 the students and the children and the young people can ask the questions because it opens up the knowledge and it and it and it mm. becomes they then accept who you are. You know, I remember I remember I was you know 20 years ago I was in I was in a primary school. I went I went I was in town the other day and um this this man came up to me and started talking to me. He said, you don't remember me, do you? And I said, no. He said, well, you came to my school and I was in <laughs> primary school and you came and do a talk. And I always remember that, you know? And that's, that's we, that little seed that, that I planted, he's mm. remembered that, you know? And, and he's accepted that and he's, and he's never, never, never forgotten that, that, that discussion, that, um, talk that I gave and the questions that, that people ask. So, And when he sees a wheelchair user out in the street, he's not afraid of, of them and he will have a different view of what's possible as a wheelchair user and, the, and, and some of the needs of that wheelchair user. He may become a town planner one day and, and may, may then be motivated to change the accessibility regulations, for example, or, you know, so... So it's fantastic what you do. I think it's fantastic that a responsibility that we all actually have to to 
educate and, and, and we don't show even people. realize we, we i think we don't even realize that you know as an individual i always say you know it is good to talk and it's good to uh, and don't feel don't don't ever feel embarrassed about talking about um your journey you know if somebody asks you a question what actually happened then then explain talk to them about it because Mm. They then become aware, and then they then accept who you are. And, it, and it, regardless whether it's a spine injuries, with a, you know, even if it's if, if it's cerebral palsy, if it's MS, if it's these other these other conditions that everybody else has and, and they experience, you know, mm. then um, talk about it, you know, and explain, it. and then then people then um, mm. have a little bit more understanding, not empathy, a little bit more understanding. And I think people can judge people because they haven't got the knowledge, they haven't got the information, so they are afraid and scared of the unknown. I just had a realisation wow. then, Sean. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's great because, you know, pe- people will often come up to me, and you'll know this well, so what happened? You know, and it's and it's actually quite easy to go, oh, well, how dare you ask me that? You know, what what, you know, what's it to you? And, I, and often I'll go, I, I might sometimes go, well, what happened to you? <laughs> you know, but it's an opportunity, like you say, it is actually an opportunity to share. And the person that's asked, you know, they want to scratch their curiosity itch, but it's actually also an opportunity for you to give them an insight into, into your life. Um, so, you know, I, I suppose it's up to you whether or not you want to share that. And you could say, well, look, I'd rather not say. But you could also, you know, you could also share something that may change that person's perception of uh, totally. of, of the world that we live in. And and that's, I, I, that's I a great you, thing. It's like, um, so two years ago, um, I was going up Ben Nevis, and obviously I crushed my leg and had to have my leg amputated, right? So... Mm. That's so now people, whereas before I had two legs, but I, but I couldn't walk. <laughs> now I've got one leg and I still can't walk. It's interesting how everybody now sees. Ah, they do say, why don't you have a prosthetic? Why don't you they walk? See, they see the leg. Wow. And the questions now I get asked is, um, you know, were you in, were you in Afghanistan? Hmm. And we were in Iraq, where you, and you know, so they're, they're now they now try and put me into a category of um, the forces background. Um, these weird, these wonderful soldiers, men and women that have put up their lives, and I had to do that. Hmm. I went up Ben Evers to raise money for their for an army charity, anyway. But you know, I didn't, <laughs> I, you know. So so now people's perceptions now have changed again towards me because they see now mm. I haven't got a leg. And it happens in an instant, in a split second, a person will make, and you know, you, you say you've only got a chance to make a first impression. You've got one chance to make a first impression. Well, we do, we, we, we see somebody and we make a instant judgment to try and understand the world around us, to put people in a, in a, in a place that makes sense to us. And so it's, it's easy to understand how people may speak slowly to you because they think that yes. you maybe have an intellectual uh, impairment. Um, and it's up to yes, us to they, try they, and they educate. Two, they put it all together, don't they? They put mm. the two together. They put a, like a, they see, they see a, 
you know, they, they put the disability as a whole. You know, you're in a chair, so obviously you can't walk, but obviously there must be something mm. psychologically wrong with you as well. Yeah, totally. I um, I think it's fascinating. And I think the more and more um, public awareness there is around uh, all forms of disability, the, the, better it, the better it is for, for everybody. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and you know what, what's really nice as well lately is that, you know, uh, we have been talking a lot of the mental health side of things as well, the hidden, the hidden disabilities. Mm. And I think that's an amazing thing to do as well, because uh, people see me, um, they see the chair um, and that's okay. But individuals that uh may be withdrawn and individuals feel that they may be socially inadequate no actually go and talk to that person because mm. there might be something um that's going on in their lives that is that's making them that's affecting their mental health it could be anxiety it could be depression it could be mm. um by it could be all these other these other hidden hidden disabilities that, that people can't see and because they can't see it they, they're quick to to again judge and put you into another category. Mm. You know, people like to put people in boxes, and 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 it's a, and it's a shame. So, yeah, it's okay for me because I've got a physical side because people can physically see what's happened. But uh, mm. individuals that that I that I that I you know some of my friends that have got mental health um, problems and and and, and issues, um, you know. They also need. Uh, they also. Uh, they find it difficult because people are, uh, are quick to judge them in a different way. Yeah, that's that's right. You you often can't see what's uh, beneath the physical, and uh, that's it's often the most Think dangerous. Think of the iceberg. Think of go. the iceberg. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, so you touched on this Ben Nevis trip to raise some money. We, we haven't really <laughs> even touched on the incredible. Uh, Outdoor and physical endeavours that you've uh, you've achieved over the years. Oh, my Siri's just been listening in and uh, said I I can't hear any places that match that description. <laughs> anyway, I'll uh, leave that aside. Isn't it uh, frightening that uh, my phone's listening into our conversation? <laughs> but anyway, hey, um, so tell us a little bit about. Um, you know, so okay, so geez, you're six months in. You, you know, you're starting to see the uh, the way uh, the world sees you and 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 treats you. Um, what were some of the first uh, first things that you set your sights on achieving in your life? The very first thing was I needed to learn to drive a car. Ah, yeah, nice. It's a good yeah, feeling, me, isn't it? <laughs> that was for me. That was getting my legs back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, I remember, um, I remember the the spanner unit had an adapted uh, learner driver car, and um, they said, "Look, you know, we'd like to take some lessons and learn to drive." And I'm like, "Yeah, great, absolutely." So um, I was that determined to um, pass my test and get the car that I actually bought my first car before I passed my test because I was that determined I was going to pass my <laughs> test. So I took eight lessons, put in for my test, passed first time. Excellent. So that was my that was my first my first achievement was and then from there it was like the car then was my legs. 
because mm-hmm. I could go anywhere. I could go anywhere and I could do anything. I could, you know, at the time I was in Southport, my, my family was still back in Lancaster. So I was traveling, you know, an hour uh, back home to see him. Then I'd travel an hour back to, to go back to the home and stuff like that. So, so yeah, that was a lifeline. That was, that was a, that was a change and a, a little change in, in my, um, uh, in my little journey that, that allowed me, gave me independence, made me feel, um, made me feel like somebody that, you know, I felt important and I felt uh, accepted and I could drive a car. You know, I felt a little bit human. Mm, I love it. I can so relate to that. I reckon uh, getting my adapted vehicle saved my marriage. Before that, my my wife was driving around everywhere and I was just so frustrated and she was so frustrated. Uh, So, yeah, it's a great thing. And I love driving today. I just went away for the weekend with my brother and, and uh, and I'll offer to drive um, the whole way because I just I just love it. Uh, I love that motion, the fluidity, and and again just just feeling like you you know maybe I, I can't pack the car as as well as uh, somebody else, and some things I just cannot physically put in the car, but um, but I can certainly drive and do my bit, and uh, it's yeah. a good feeling. I'm um, exactly the same. I would rather I would I'm I'm, I'm behind the wheel, uh, Dawn. Um, she drives, but she when we're together, and me and the kids and family, that's me. I do all the driving. Love it. Yeah, I remember speaking to Karen Dark, uh, you know, an amazing paraplegic adventurer um, yeah. from the UK as well. And she was saying that on her expeditions to Greenland and up the coast of Canada on in sea kayaks, she said she had to feel as though she was taking part. Like she couldn't load the kayaks or lift it up onto the beach, but she could she could cook. That was her yeah. job, and she, you know, as long as you feel like you're contributing to a family or to a group or to society Absolutely. in some way, um, it's a matter of just finding those things, and and then you get this sense of importance and and acceptance and um, like your your value, right? And I think it's finding those finding those things as you go through that um, that really help with uh, absolutely with uh, yeah, totally, life. totally agree, totally relate to that, and a hundred percent. So I, I see photos of you uh, doing, you know, tough mudder type races, and like you say, you were you were climbing Ben Nevis and and Kilimanjaro, I think, was on the on the radar at some point. And you know, tell us about some of these adventures that you've you've been on. What what did you <laughs> what did you learn from those, and what uh, uh, what tips can you share with our listeners? God, what did I learn? I learned that um, I learned that. If you have got a good team around you, if you've got a good mindset, um, if you've got determination, then you can actually achieve and participate in anything you want to do. Hmm. You know, so from, if, if I take you back from my first adventures where I started off doing all the mud runs, you know, I'm the only wheelchair adaptive athlete to have completed two of the UK championships uh, with my team, No Fear on Wheels. Um, I've completed over 100 kilometres of mud courses. And up, so and when we talk of the OCRs, we're talking about, you know, going through rivers and over walls and, you know, taking a wheelchair and, uh, and a person with an, an impairment through some terrain which you just wouldn't you just wouldn't do it it wasn't dream of so when i first started in on on the obstacle course racing uh journey um 
it was really because um, I was in the gym and all the my friends in the gym were, were going to do it. And they said, let's go, we can do it. Um, and the first hurdle was actually finding a course that was willing and able to take me, allow me mm-hmm. to, to do the first course, to, to do it, to, you know, take a wheelchair. Because the individuals contacted, they saw the wheelchair and it was like, no, we, well, sorry, you can't take a wheelchair on our course. We're not insured. Hmm. And I had, I had then had to have meetings and meetings with the, the course directors to say, look, I will sign any waiver, hmm. you know, my responsibility. I know what I'm getting myself in for. So just let me do it. And my first one led on to my second one, led on to my third one. And then before I know it, I was like, I felt like the Pied Piper of Hamlet, you know, when he's, when he's, when he's, when yeah, he's, yeah. Blowing his truck, and all of a sudden, all these little and people, these followers, because after that, I was getting contacts on on uh, social media from people that said, "Look, I see, I saw you do this race, and I saw you do this race. Can you tell me when you're doing the next race? Because I want to be part of that, and I want to be part of that journey." And and then what I found was like this: the team that I created, this No Fear on Wheels, became a family. And you know, I think one race, one race we did, we we did a race called Mod Seven. And we had 53 people in my team that were just wanted to be part of, That's cool. of that journey on that day to take a wheelchair around a course to help to anybody. And everybody had their own little um, role in what we were doing and we were, and we were rotating in it. And it was, it was an amazing feeling. It was an amazing feeling of, of, of um, teamwork, of, overcoming adversity and inclusion and equality and um, breaking barriers down and it was just yeah it was an an amazing an an amazing journey so that really started off started me on my my trek of looking for that next venture and looking for you know so then I decided Mm. to jump out of an airplane 15,000 feet and then it was like what can we do next so let's go up a mountain and that so Mm. And, and I set off on this little journey and it wasn't to, um, it wasn't for people to, to, to be inspired. It was one, because I wanted to do it, but two, uh, to, to show me that I was able and capable and determined enough to do it. And along that route, um, people you know, when I say, oh, well, we'll do, we're going to go do Kilimanjaro, you know, I didn't realize 36 other people would want to come and do Kilimanjaro with me. You know, <laughs> when we did Snowden, I didn't realize that there, these 40 odd people wanted to come and do Snowden with me. And when we did Ben Nevis, there was like 36. So it was like everybody wanted to, to wow. have their own little journey uh, with my journey. So, that's amazing. Yeah, that, was, that was really that was crazy. Another deep one. That one. That was a neat. Uh, but yeah, it was. Um, I've been really fortunate. We've uh, we've met so many wonderful people, and I've got so many wonderful messages from from people that have that that have even watched us on our, on on our little journey on my journey, and, and and said, you know, the stories and the, the quotes and the stuff that you put on, you know, I, I love it because it inspires me and it motivates me. And that's what I look for. And, mm. and I never th- dreamt in my wildest day that, that, um, 
I would do that, but you know, because I always look at me, Mike. I just, I'm just Sean. You know, my kids call me Papa Wheels. Some people call me a wheelchair nutter and a wheelchair <laughs> junkie, and you know, yeah. Um, and that's just who, and that's just who I am. I'm not a Paralympian. I'm not, you know, and I'm just a guy that wants to to take his chair places and say, do you know what? I've been there. I've, I, look, don't live, don't live for regrets. Don't live. And think to yourself, I wish I'd done that. If you want to do something, go out and do it. If you, you know, if you don't succeed, I don't look at it. Somebody asked me the other day, you know, um, you know, was Ben Nevis a failure because I didn't get to the top? No, it wasn't a failure because I had an amazing time and I wouldn't change it. Okay, we had a little bit of a hiccup, but that's fine. I lost weight. That's how I look at it, you know. <laughs> um, but it wasn't. It wasn't. I don't look at. I don't look at anything as a as a failure. I, I look at it as a mm. as a way of learning and de- developing you and helping you with your self motivation and self esteem to realize that you know what I did that. Mm. I had a go at that, um, and I want to look at. I want to do something else. I want to. I want to do the next thing. Yeah. How you frame your success is is up to you. You know, and you you can. You, you can actually change it. You can modify it, you know? So, okay, reaching the summit, you may think that that's success, but you didn't reach the summit. You lost your leg, but you still came away thinking that it was a successful trip. And it's because you are able to change your view on on the outcome. You weren't fixed on the outcome for your for your happiness of that trip. You Like, they say the journey is in every single moment of that journey, you know, it's... it's uh, it's it's not the outcome that that determines the success of the journey. It's the it's the journey itself, right? Um, it's 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 if if it goes back to that that the the adventures and from the start of of that day to where we were and where we finished, and it was just an amazing, exhilarating, difficult teamwork effort, you know, camaraderie the whole way up, you know. Um, and it was in it, and it was it was amazing. And everything that I've done has always been, you know, when I when I when I did um, and all this stuff that I do, I do for charity because I I look at it like, well, if I'm going to do something, let's raise some money, you know. Mm. I don't let's just raise some money and we can give something back. So that's where my head is. So when I when I when I um, skydived, um, originally I was going to do myself and Dawn, we were going to do the skydive. We're going to raise some money first for charity. Um, and in the end up, we had, we actually had 20 odd people that, that said, well, we'll come and do it with you. And we raised £5,000 just for a charity, just to jump out of an airplane. It was amazing. It was the most wow. exhilarating experience I've ever had. And I think my energy comes from, you know, let's do something, but let's give something back. Let's do something, but let's give something back. You know, that's where my that's where I get my energy from. I love that, and that kind of fills in uh, a little bit of the picture that I that was missing for me. It was, you know, I often feel like, uh, in, in some ways, a bit of a burden on, um, particularly particularly some of the friends I had prior to my accident that I used to go surfing with and climbing with and all these things. I, I never really feel like asking them to go on a trip or to do something or you know, and so so I either just don't. Um, but for you, you found a way of giving back and that, 
that also helped people jump on board and and get on this kind of you you almost set the you set this uh you set the scene you set the journey um agenda if you like and and it was powerful because people jumped on board they could see that you weren't just doing it for you you're doing it for something greater than you but you or and you all benefit you all benefit from it um which is awesome but you know you know asking for help uh, you know you say bringing a team together that's that's frightening it takes um it takes being vulnerable in some ways to ask people for help like what advice would you have for someone that wants to do something but doesn't have the people around them immediately um to say is it is it just being is it just being motivated yourself is that enough to attract people what other what other things do you need to um, you know that's that's a good point because if i if i look back uh, when i first started out um with the course running you know i just had a i just had a small group there was just a small group of us that we were going to do it mm. and when we turned up to the event um all these people in the event you know saw me yeah you know i say i always say people always see me rather than the chair but in this event people saw the chair because it's like what is a wheelchair gonna do yeah yeah you know and um and everybody was coming over and saying you know if you need any help going around please ask please ask and do you know what because we, we we were appreciative of the fact that um they offered their support and they gave their support and some of these teams that were that were there actually decided not to go and do they, their agenda was they want to they want to run, run, race around but they changed their agenda to come and do it with us and because hmm. i embraced that and didn't feel that they were wanting to help uh in a um kind of condescending way yeah yeah um they wanted to be part of it. it. They, they wanted to absolutely. see. They wanted to see the absolutely. the joy that yeah. you experienced, and and as a result, they would. See, get that and back. I think sometimes, I think sometimes, you know, uh, mm. people that, that that you know. So, for instance, like, so if I'm I'm so I'm driving in my car, I pull up to the disabled spot to get out of my car. I start to get my chair out, and then um, I see I, I can you know you can, your peripheral vision. You can see somebody in the back. You can see them hovering. Mm. Wanting to come over <laughs> and ask if you're all right, but they, they don't know whether they're gonna gonna upset you or whatever. So they, they sort of get and then um I actually turn and because I acknowledge the fact that, that I see them, I said, um, have you have you know are you all right? And they'll say, Well, I just wanted to know if you wanted to help us. Oh, do you know, and I, because I recognize and I acknowledge the fact that I really thank thanks for your help, that's really great. I'll be, but then I laugh about it. Oh, I've been doing this for thirty odd years, you know. So I've got it down to a T. And then we have a little. Then they'll they'll wait for a little bit, and they'll what they say. Can we watch it? Is alright if I watch it? But because I allow them to do that, then mm. it then becomes accepted. I think it's when when individuals when and I've seen it. I have seen it where you know um, somebody's trying to get out of the car with the chair, and that person that's getting out of the car in the chair has come back in an aggressive manner. Mm. Then that person that was that was wanting to help has then shied away and thought, you know, and then and I, then I think then I feel, in my opinion, again, I'm going to use my opinion because I feel then they then set that scene for how they perceive other people mm. in that chair because they said, I'm not going to go and speak to the last time I spoke to that person, last time I tried to offer any help, 
or any support, mm-hmm. um, I was shouted down. So for me, it's like, look, people, people, we do it. We do live in a society where people do want to help, generally want to help. Mm. And and if somebody's there that, that has offered their support, that even to open a door, then embrace it. You know, smile, thank them, because mm. that, you know, they haven't done it in any malicious or any negative or derogative way. They've done it because they generally wanted to do that. You know, that's how I feel. That's just, you know, that's just. That was yeah, deep, my... deep. That was deep point number twelve for the session so far. I think that was awesome. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. It's actually really true. The number of times I, I, the exact situation where, where someone will be just hovering in the sidelines, or they'll, they'll actually come up and go, "Will you like some help?" and and rather than having seeing that as an, a personal affront or a, or a reflection on your ability, it, it's just someone that genuinely cares and does want to help and doesn't understand your ability. So it's up to you to say, oh, look, you know, I just pull the wheels off and I pull it together and it's no problem. And, and you might make a joke. You say, sometimes I let my wheelchair go and it rolls off and then and then I'm in real trouble. And, and then I hope there's someone like you that comes along and, and offers me help. But, uh, but then it's just, it's a bridge, you know, it's this nice bridge that you've created for, for that person, one person at a time. Sometimes people have never actually seen, or because, you know, it goes back to, totally. it goes back to, goes back to putting people in categories because they didn't realize that somebody in a chair could actually drive a car. And then they're fascinated and mm. we get and then we get into the conversation of so and then I have to talk about the hand controls and how it works and mm. and then they've gone they've gone away <laughs> educated, understanding, yeah, totally. more awareness, you know? Um and that that's powerful. And if yeah. you're you're if you can give up that two minutes to talk to somebody that 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 you feel is actually interested, because you know if, if nobody's interested, if that person wasn't interested, then they wouldn't be hovering around to see mm. if there wouldn't be any any help. Yeah. But then on the flip side to that, I've also had the the negative reactions where I've pulled up into a disabled bay or handicapped bay. And I've had somebody tapping up a window to tell me that I was parked in a disabled or handicapped bay <laughs> um, because looking at, you know, a young man. So until I actually open the door and say, yeah, I'm, I'm actually in a chair myself. This is my chair. And that reaction is in, sorry, I, 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 you just, you, you didn't like, you didn't look like you was uh, disabled. <laughs> totally. I get that. I, I get that look. From people all the time, and and uh, yeah, and then then I kind of a look of shock, like oh wow, you just you have this confidence about you. I just didn't think that you know you should be parking here. <laughs> so uh, it's good. And in actual fact, I sometimes don't use those parks because I can wheel a hundred meters from the other side of the, the parking lot if need be. You know, like as long as I've got room to open my door and get my wheelchair out, I I, I don't feel like. I actually need those those parking places. The the UK you know? the UK parking spots over here. The, the, you would you wouldn't be able to get it. You, honestly, you need to use the, the, the disabled bays because <laughs> because they are that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're that. Everybody thinks we drive minis. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. I gotcha. 
Oh, man. Hey, thinking about your trip up Kilimanjaro, the mechanics of it, uh, you know, physically, how how did how did you guys do it and how did your team assist you with that? So, you know what you know, I say about taking yourself out of, out of the comfort zone? Well, mm. that was completely out of my comfort zone because I've, I had, you know, my head was, I had to think about my, my bowels and my bladder, mm. you know, my mm. catheter. I had to, it was that planning of how we was actually physically going to do it. And I had to then plan. And, you know, we were going on a six-day trek and I had to plan. Um, pre, and I don't usually do this, but I had to pre-plan when I was going to toilet mm. so that I knew, you know, the days. You know, so we will camp one, camp two, camp three, when am I actually going to do it? So, so that, that took a lot of preparation. Um, the chair itself... Um, the RGK over over here, um, they created and designed a specific wheelchair for me to take up Kilimanjaro that needed a little bit more uh, support and a little bit more um, strength in it because we were going to go over. We went the, the the route that we went up was called the Rongai route, which was up from the Kenyan border. So the Rongai route, when you read. <laughs> When you read the map, it says it's the most picturesque scene that you can go up. <laughs> you wouldn't take <laughs> a pushchair, let alone a wheelchair, up oh, this particular wow. route. It was the hardest, the most non... Um, yeah, it, well, you just wouldn't take a wheelchair up this road. So my head was, and this is where I am. Somebody said to me, you can't do that. I'll say, well, like, let's go and do it. Somebody says you couldn't do the wrong guy route. I said, well, let's go and do the wrong guy route. So, you know, my, my <laughs> wife, Dawn, love, I love my wife to pieces. She would say, Sean, you, 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 you're a doer, but then you don't actually think about what you do until you've actually done it. And then you realize, perhaps I shouldn't have done it that way. So, <laughs> so the wrong guy route was um, from off the Kenyan border. And it started off uh, as, a, as a good trek up, you know, pushing up and then, we hit um, the desert, we hit the rocks, we hit, you know, sheer cliff faces where at one point I was actually balancing on a boulder on two wheels while the porters were shimmying around the border, around the sides to pick the wheelchair up, to put me down, to, to lift me up. You know, this is... Wow. <laughs> this, is, this was a scary moment. And I had six porters with me who had never taken a wheelchair up Kilimanjaro before, but obviously had done the, you know, the portion before. So it was new to them. It was new to me. So we was all on this learning curve, but um, I, I got emotionally attached with these guys because they put their life on the line for me to help me. And it was an amazing, surreal, difficult, emotional uh, experience that, that, will stay with me for the rest of my life because I will never ever experience anything like that again, you know, from mm. having, from going through the different terrains and the, and the different, taking a wheelchair through the whole, you know, even, even at nighttime having to camp, you know, we were, we were camping. So um, obviously it's not like, you know, we had to leave the wheelchair out and out out of the tent, and I had to get in the tent and crawl in the tent, and then get undressed and dressed in the tent, and then crawl back out. And 
you know it wasn't the 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 um the um, you roll into a nice cabin with uh you know yeah. fireplace and things yeah. that was it was the real real deal it was it was an amazing amazing experience that i would never ever ever forget and i and i loved the experience and i loved the people that was that we did that we were and i loved the porters and that that time that, that we had up there was was uh, was was really surreal you know and uh so if you if you do it if 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 we if you do it don't go up the wrong route <laughs> paint Just a picture saying. for me paint a picture for me like how how were you assisting obviously you were where you could you were you were pushing you know obviously wearing gloves for the cold and the yeah you know, so um things like that we when we when we got when we got above uh i think we was we was in camp 5 so camp 5 um it was minus 20 at night so, wow. um, and what, what altitude is that? Is it is sort of about five thousand feet this, or something? Five thousand meters, something like was, that. Yeah, 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 about five thousand feet. So, I mean, we were we you you come out of the tent in the morning, mm-hmm. and you you're looking above the clouds. Oh wow! <sighs> Just surreal. You know, I, I remember that uh the night so at the night you, you get changed wash wash my wash my pants and and then the guy put my pants outside to dry and then the following morning <laughs> got my pants said sean i think we got your pants here and they were literally like cardboard because <laughs> they, they'd frozen overnight because it was that it was that cold um how i did it how i did it so there was certain points that were was great for me to push there were certain points i think Day three, when we was hitting more of the uh, the rocky side of things, that obviously I had to rely on more on the porters because we were lifting up rocks and down rocks and uh, side mm-hmm. rocks, and I was actually holding on. My forearms were burning because I was actually just gripping onto the wheels so that we wouldn't roll off. And mm-hmm. um, so the terrain that we went through started off pushing, and then it was like the, I needed a bit more support. Then I was in another another bit and I was like okay so it was completely different terrain all the way up I think before we got to base camp base camp it was just like a desert it mm. literally was just pushing up across a desert and randomly there was a, a a plane crash in the middle of this of this desert it was random absolutely random but it was um so yeah so there was stuff that I, there was stuff that I could do the the morning of the ascent um we were going up, so it was like shingles, um, some really fine sand. So that was that was just tiring, absolutely. Took it all out of us, hundred uh, percent. Mm. But uh, amazing, wow, amazing memories. And I was, I was, I, was, I, I you know, I, I talk about it because on on that day, um, I remember Killy, but I remember more so. Um, obviously, you know, I said I, I said before, like I do a lot of stuff, uh, and I like to give stuff back and, and do stuff. You know, if I'm going to do something, let's let's do it for a charity, or whatever. Well, we we raise money for a for a cancer charity in the UK, but I also wanted to give something back to the community in Kilimanjaro. So we raised money for the Kilimanjaro orphanage, and um, what I had organised was uh, when we when when we ascended. Uh, before we flew back to the UK, um, I had arranged for all of us to go to the orphanage to see so that the, the guys could see exactly 
what and who they were supporting with what we'd raised. And that one afternoon was the, the most emotional, I would say, part of the trip. Because clearly you're up and down. But mm. spending that time with, with, the, with the children and that was, yeah, that would, that, would, that would live with me and that would stay with me more so than, than actually, the little, and it sounds weird, but the, the little trek up Killy. Mm. And I say it was a little trek, but it wasn't just a little trek. It was a big trek up Killy. <laughs> well, I'm I'm really I'm really touched by this. Uh, I'm I'm really touched by how you give back, and uh, and I think it's something I'm gonna I'm gonna change in my life. Actually, I think it's amazing that you you get to experience the the self, um, you know, the achievement of of a, of a certain physical goal. But like you say, it's the it's giving as a result of that that that's perhaps uh, and and more likely the most rewarding part of the whole the whole thing. Um, so yeah, man, I'm take my hat off to you. Yeah, I think it's awesome. We did, when I when I did um, when myself and Dom we we did land to John O'Groves. So mm-hmm. and when we did land to John O'Groves, um, we wanted to so every every stop off point we had about nine we had about twenty stop off points along the way up to to land to John O'Groves. Um, and we actually raised money for a, a particular cause. So we'd actually pre-planned where we were stopping. We actually raised money for a cause where we were stopping up mm. along the route all the way up. And that was so it wasn't just to do a to do a challenge to raise money for the a big charity. It was actually to raise money for in, these individual small mm. charities, you know. And one of them, when we stopped off at Bristol. And there was a there was a young boy called Alfie who I'd met in one of the spinal games, and he was only two, and he needed a wheelchair. So we'd actually pre-planned and we raised money. And on the day we hit Bristol, um, the wheelchair that I had got him measured up for without him knowing had arrived in Bristol. So the day we, he met us there, he didn't his mom his mom and dad didn't know anything about this, and we presented Alfie with the wheelchair. And the photos that were on were just, yeah. Um, so nice. little things like that, that's where I get my energy. That's my energy. That's my motivation. Oh, I so love it. That, that's, I love it. Now I'm thinking to myself, right, what can, <laughs> what can, what can I do uh, in my next adventure to, um, to raise money for charity? I love it. It's so good. Do you know, it's, it's not even about, it's, it's just about, you know, we say about you know how we it's it's that feel good factor, isn't it? You know, we, mm. we talk and I've talked before about you know if somebody's going to talk to you, talk back to them and ask them ask them if they're okay, and it's and it's supporting. So it could even be, you know, in your local community where where they need like so. In our week, we have the like the food banks where we've just we, you know, mm. last year myself and we we put together some some food banks and just dropped that off. Because people were, were, you know, it it it's mm. not about just you know giving money on everything else. It's it's about making a difference. That's because exactly what you're doing for them. They don't realise what that is actually doing for you up here mm. and in here. Mm. And it's and it's in your heart. It's in your soul. And it's in and that is where your head is. If your head's in a good place. And you're giving it back, and you energize, and 
and you're finally the next thing then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love Sorry. it. Sorry. <laughs> I love it. No, it's good. It's got me thinking. And I um that's that's uh that's exactly why I have these conversations. Um yeah, it's amazing. Sean, what uh what does the future hold for you? What uh what what have you got uh what have you got in your life going on right now? What's what's cooking? Uh, so at the moment, I am uh, training to be the first paraplegic amputee uh, deep dive scuba dive rescuer. So I'm doing my um, working with uh, Scuba Schools International, Maris, and Morecambe Area Divers, and we are working towards me getting uh, being the first amputee paraplegic amputee to to gain this. Um, this, this dive qualification, but we're also um, creating and writing a and a um, a scuba diving course for anybody with any abilities to do. Because I know there's other mm. there's paddy and there's backs and these other these other diving um, courses and qualifications that you can gain, but some of them actually um, don't allow everybody to take part. Mm. So at the moment we're working with a guy who's blind, mm. um, taking him scuba diving because we've had to readjust and our way of thinking with obviously the signs and the signals that you get, that you need to use. Mm. Um, so we we are creating sort of work with Salim down there, but um, yeah, my, that's that's where my energy is at the moment to create a an all inclusive adaptive scuba diving course everybody sign me up i'm there it's actually something i've been wanting to do for a long time the scuba diving and uh yeah i've, I've looked into it um the last oh, last, you have to last two weeks mike yeah it, it, the 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 feeling that you get because we're in a chair you know where was the feeling that you get is surreal it's unbelievable and uh, i will highly recommend anybody to 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 give it a go i mean it's not for everybody but give it a go you 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 love it absolutely amazing uh it's so good to hear yeah i part of me was thinking oh the, you know the gear's really quite expensive and there's all these sort of limitations that i was creating around it but uh, i've got a a lot of friends and some friends that want to teach me so um yeah i'm going to lean into it and uh, and give it give it a absolutely. go absolutely you 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 will you will you you will get hooked on it you really will oh i love it and so where can people follow along on uh, you know this journey and others uh you know whereabouts online do you spend spend time um (laughs) i'm all over um i'm on i'm on instagram facebook uh, i'm on twitter um if you have a look under momentsofinspiration.org.uk that's my that's my website as well so you can have a look on there um, I try and keep that up to date as much as possible, but um, yeah, that's sort of my journey. I'm, I'm in the process. I'm, I'm writing a book at the moment um, called "No Fear on Wheels: A Journey of Determination." So I'm awesome. just in the, in the middle of writing, writing a book about um, my my journey, my wheelchair journey, and how I've how it's led to where I've been and to where I'm going to go. When do you? That's fantastic. When do you think that will be available? Have you got a Have you got a time in mind? Or when do you think you might finish finish writing that? Or is it a long like, term? I'm I'm going to say I'd like to see it finished, done and dusted, 
uh, by maybe April, May, June next year. Wow. Well, I'll definitely keep an eye out for that. Uh, and yeah, keep an eye out. Follow follow along on Sean's uh, Instagram and uh, other social media platforms and uh, stay up to date on that 100%. I'll put the links in the show notes as well. Uh, Sean, I, I mean, we've only just scratched the surface. I, I feel we, there's so many other things I'd like to talk with you about. Maybe we'll have to do a follow-up um, once your book's done and we can dive into some more of those things. But, uh, Listen, Mike, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure for you to invite me on to do to 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 have a chat, just to have a chat and, and sort of share experiences. And you know, if people go away and and get inspired by something, then um, you know, don't live with don't live with any regrets. You know, um, there's a there's a phrase I love, and it's uh, if life gives you life gives you lemonade, if life life gives you lemons, make lemonade. So mm. you turn something bitter into something sweet. So what happened to me with the accident was was bitter, but I, then I've I've turned that into something which is fulfilling and something sweet, and I've embraced it. So embrace your life. You sure have one hundred percent. I haven't spoken to anybody on this podcast that represents that more fully than you. Um, and I, I I call people with that mindset adapt the fires, and uh, you're. 110 <laughs> percent uh the mindset that's um that's going to make people's lives better it's going to change the world's uh perception of what it means I'm, to be I'm a wheelchair user proud proud to be part of proud to be part of this so yeah absolutely hey sean thanks so much uh look enjoy the rest of your evening um and it's been an absolute pleasure um Look forward, to, look forward to meeting up again and uh, and yeah. maybe sharing in one of those adventures with you one day once the world opens up again. Scuba dive. Go scuba diving. Yes. All right, mate. Scuba take dive. care. Take care, buddy. See you later, guys. Take care. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and meeting today's Adaptifier. To learn more about Adaptify and the products we have in development, products that will increase freedom for wheelchair users, go to adaptdefy.com. That's A-D-A-P-T-D-E-F-Y.com. We're also on all the major social media platforms at Adaptify. Follow us there for more behind-the-scenes looks and more up-to-date information on product releases. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. Look forward to catching you next time.